Welcome back to the Oscar Rewind podcast. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host Andrew as we break down all the Best Picture nominated films for every single Oscar year. And of course, we are currently here to discuss the 1980 Oscars for the 1979 films. Just discussed two of the movies. We're here to break down two more before we get to the inevitable winner of the year. And so to help break down two more of these films, we have, you know, currently an unmarried woman herself, Andrea. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Running around the house trying to get my steps in, lifting some weights, you know. (laughs) I love how Andrea tries to make this sound like this is, you know, just part of my regular routine. It is. Uh, she did this for the first time in the last week. Uh, she dusted off those weights and quickly decided to do a rep of weights while she waited for me to set up the podcast. So yeah, uh, I like how all of a sudden she's like a gym guru. She's showing me her muscles right now. Big guns. Yeah, she's kind of wearing a muscle t-shirt. Yeah, she's suddenly yeah. the voice of the athletics club here. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she's. I agree. Yeah, it's like Andrew's getting ready to go off to war. That'd be scary. Yeah. Like what Bruce Dern did in the film Coming Home. So, you know. Hyde. Mr. Dr. Captain Hyde. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Hyde himself. So, Andrea, uh, you know, aside from dusting off the old weights, uh, anything else new with you? Not really. I am getting my wedding dress alterations. Uh, My veil just came in the other day, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, things are honestly, they're, they're going pretty well, minus my boss got a new job and I'll be getting a new boss. That's kind of sad, but other than that, things aren't too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Same old, same old. That's good to hear, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Same going for me. I'm just, you know, between work and watching movies, living the same old life. Nothing's changed. And you had your bachelor party. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I discussed that with Tristan on the podcast, but you know. Uh, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to break the bubble there. But, you did. You know, uh, this is uh, this is your time to talk about. So I guess that's exciting. Uh, and mm-hmm. I also got a new wardrobe for work. Uh, you know, really living the sad, mundane adult life when you get a thrill because you bought some new dress shirts. So you know. And everyone else is thrilled at work too. They're nice shirts. What can I say? I know, I know. I yeah. keep hearing about it. What can you do? When you're with someone like me, I'm always the talk of the town. But we can really discuss two more films here. We are now, well, you know, close behind the curtains. Obviously, we do them separated. So right now, we are only three out of five of the way here. I got scared for a second. I was like, did we watch two movies? <laughs> no, no. Uh, we'll, but we will watch the other one yeah. in between recordings. So to the listener, we have now seen four of the five. Yeah. Moving our way over to the best picture film, The Deer Hunter, that we'll be discussing very shortly. Hell yeah. And you know, I don't want to speak out of turn because I haven't even seen Unmarried Woman yet, but I feel like we kind of saved the best two for last. We kind of... Got these three out of the way, and it hasn't been too bad of a journey so far. Uh, For those that haven't seen Coming Home, which I imagine, similar to Midnight Express and Heaven Can Wait, it's probably most of you guys. 
So, Andrew, do you want to quickly uh, set people up? What was your thoughts right off the bat, no spoilers yet, on the film Coming Home? You know, it was, it was okay. It wasn't one of my favorites. I don't know if it's actually at the bottom. Now that I'm thinking, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it might be at the bottom for me. But, like, overall, there's no, like, really bad films that we have watched. Um, I think that, you know, the theme was clearly war, but more so about the vets afterwards that have injuries um, that go to, like, maybe different facilities um, because they need to get better from the war, you know, losing limbs and whatnot. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I thought the whole concept of the husband going off to war and then the wife um, wanting to help by going to the veterans hospital, going there just to help. And then you said no spoilers, so I won't give any yet, but just kind of what happens, her journey when he is away at war and what she goes through. Um, overall, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously not my highest rated, but it was in a boring film. Yeah, I think the film is pretty great. I think of the three so far, might be the one I like the most. You know, you have to Whoa. reflect on it more. Uh, you know, uh, I also didn't really love the other two. But I think this film is better by far than what I thought it was going to be. And it's mostly because going in, you are expecting... It's a war movie, famously. Uh, you know, uh, myself, I'm not a huge war fan, even though Apocalypse Now and Platoon, all these fantastic films, and they're some of the greatest, high, some of the highest rated films of all time. I'm sure a lot of the viewers would deem them as some of the best Oscar winners slash nominations. Eh, you know, it's just most of the time it's not necessarily my thing. I don't necessarily enjoy war films to the fullest extent. But leaving the film, I would say this isn't really a war film at all. I wouldn't even consider it a war film. I would say this is more so just an Oscar performance, Oscar Beatty type of film, similar to A Marriage Story or Kramer vs. Kramer, where it's mostly screenplay and performance-based. This isn't a movie with much shooting going on. Sure, there is a gun in the film that does come up later in the movie. But the film itself is more so on particularly three characters and their interactions with each other, with the war being like a landscape that they all live their lives around. But we never once get into the war. There's no big action sequences. It's mostly just people in a room kind of discussing war, talking about how it's affected their lives and the aftermath of it. So we hear a lot about war. We never see it. It's mostly a screenplay-based film, which is the kind of movies I like. I, I love just seeing, just watching people sitting in a room talking. Famously, 12 Angry Men is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, you know, uh, something about people just talking. I find much more entertaining than people throwing fists or shooting guns. Uh, Social Network's another one of my favorites, uh, which we did discuss earlier. Uh, the first year we did this podcast was the 2010 year, and obviously I love the Social Network. So movies where it's just dialogue-heavy, 
you get to see a lot of these people's motivations and their motives. Uh, it's fun to see what motivates a lot of these characters. So I think, I think this film's pretty great. So we can really get into the film here now. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, might want to bow out unless you don't care about being spoiled. It's a pretty old film. Uh, and to be fair, there's not a whole lot to spoil. I no. think you kind of you know what's going on pretty quickly, and it's not a surprising movie. There's no big plot no. twists that they unveil. Um, so, you know, maybe you want to just hang around and listen to us discuss this film. But Andrea, for the film Coming Home, to quickly discuss its nominations, it was nominated mm -hmm. for Best Supporting Actor. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. It was nominated for Director, for Editing, obviously for Best Picture. But it lost all of those. What it did win was lead actor, lead actress, and original screenplay. Oh, wow. So it won only three, but it was like three of the six biggest awards. It won a screenplay and the two leads. That is pretty big, actually. I'm kind of surprised that like we didn't have any like deer hunter up in there. That's, that's kind of crazy. Also, really quick... I'm kind of shocked it didn't win anything for, like, is there a category for, like, best soundtrack or best music? Because this film had, like, really good music. <laughs> I was kind of shocked. Well, they'd be, like, best original song, but there wasn't an original song in this movie, right? Yeah, but it had really good music. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's great too. Well, that's not an Oscar award, but good for you. <laughs> well, you want a category for <laughs> best music we've already heard? Yeah, for best soundtrack. I think that seems fair. It was it was on point. <laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew can, <laughs> maybe should do a different podcast because that is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to discuss the Oscar wins that it got wow. or the nominations. And sorry, best mm -hmm. songs that already exist is not a category. Maybe if it was the Emmys. Andrew, uh, we can go into the actual film right off the bat. Uh, we pretty quickly kind of get all three characters, not necessarily intertwined yet, but in very different places in their life. Obviously, we have the lead actor, who is Luke, and he's already gone to war. He's, he's already back. He is already in the hospital, unable to walk. We then get on the flip side, a man going into war. So we have a guy leaving war and a guy going to war at the exact same point of their life. The other one is Hyde, who is, of course, married to the lead actress, Sally Hyde. Bob Hyde, uh, you know, he's, he's having a different journey than what Luke had at the war. Bob is already going in a captain. He's already a bit of a big shot. Luke is leaving. He got promoted because of what the events transpired but he's not necessarily you know leaving on the highest of highs he's unable to walk he is now thrown in the hospital kind of forgotten while bob big shot over here big shot bob we can call is already going off he's feeling great he's the captain he's got a beautiful wife at home he's living the luxurious life uh and so you kind of get the two different viewpoints instantly one of them is triumphant excited i'm going to work I'm going to shoot some bastards, and I'm going to have my wife waiting for me when I get home. And then you got, wow. then you got Luke, who's kind of like, fuck that. That was the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> like, the war fucking sucks. It's a piece of shit. And the very first scene is Luke talking to his buddies and discussing 
what makes war so terrible? And right off the bat, the very first scene, I realized, oh, wait, this is not a coming home, woo, pro-war movie. Like, uh, the kids are the kids are all right? Oh, no, sorry, that's the, uh, no, that's the 2010 so. movie we discussed. Yeah. What was the one where it was the 1940s, one of those films, where it was about all the wives waiting for their men to come back from oh, war? I know what you're talking about, because it had uh, the, sh- lady, the Shirley Temple in it. Shirley Temple's in it, but yeah. I don't remember. It, I thought it was going to be kind of like that, you know, the, he's going off to war, the wife's just waiting, oh, I can't wait till Bob comes back, which, you know, it is kind of like that, but it's more so poking fun at it. Mm-hmm. And this film really is pointing the finger at how ridiculous that stereotype is. How, oh, the men are going to come back victorious. Life is going to be so great for them. And it's not. As soon as you're back from the war and you're unable to walk or you lost a limb, whatever the case may be, you're now kind of just thrown to the side. Thanks for the time. Here's a medal. Hope you feel great about it. That's all you get. Like, you know, it's not really this luxurious. Men are the best. War's the best. But I feel like it's entertaining that right off the bat, this movie kind of lets you understand exactly what it's going for. And it's, it's, it's this is not a pro-war film. This is not no. Platoon. This is not oh, well, whatever that 1940s film was that we watched. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, the, the, this isn't, you know, I'm not saying Apocalypse Now was pro-war. But it definitely made war seem more exciting than this movie did, at least. Yeah, war is pretty boring. War seemed also pretty bad. Um, considering we we spent so much time with the character Luke. Um, yeah, and in the first part of the movie, I think he was honestly pretty miserable with his life. He got, like, upset really easily. He's always throwing a fit. Um, I don't honestly know exactly what was wrong with him in the beginning but he was like on this table and he had to like move around with like his arms just like laying flat on this rolly table and yeah he did not seem like a great guy in the beginning because he was like so pissed off all the time (sighs) i thought he was great honestly the entire time i thought luke was a total standout but like i mean in the beginning he was supposed to be upset like the war took his ability to walk away yeah, which and is why I... And it makes sense yeah. why he was, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought in the beginning he was fantastic. He really was kind of the voice of reason. You know, I've always thought, yeah. war sucks. Like, like, nothing good comes out of war. And I guess most people in today's society understands that. Yeah. We, we can all agree, war is the worst. And so I feel like having Luke here really is like the voice of reasoning, right? At the beginning, Sally, who is fantastic, by the way, you know, she's still excited for her boy big shot bob to go off to war (laughs) big shot bob obviously loves the war so really at the beginning luke's kind of the only guy we're sitting here going yeah hell right war's the worst (laughs) why the fuck did you even go in the first place it's it's the worst so i get it in the beginning he very much reminded me um of lieutenant dan from forrest gump because they were both hurt in the war and they were both kind of like really fucking grumpy. And I get why, but I thought that was a really, a really good comparison. I don't know. Maybe you didn't get Forrest Gump war vibes where they're in the hospital, but I completely got this in the very beginning. Obviously, once I got out of the hospital, it kind of teetered away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good that you say you remind you of Lieutenant Dan, because if he reminded you of Forrest Gump, 
I, I would have said that makes no sense because he never once calls Sally, Sally. Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe he did. Yeah. Okay, what, can we go straight to the 1995 Oscar discussion? I would love to just do a whole podcast doing Forrest Gump impressions. Oh my God. <laughs> that might be fun. Like we just talk like him the whole, the whole podcast. And a life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> time yeah so <laughs> sally on the other hand we, ha- we haven't talked too much about her and she's no. the lead actress here like like she's the lead lead yeah uh well obviously luke is clearly he won best lead actor so luke himself is a lead yes. as well but this really is sally's journey uh, we the first scene is luke telling us about how shitty war is but we instantly then go to sally where she says goodbye to big shot bob he goes off to war Sally and then her best friend V go to the nursery and they start looking after these vets. They start taking care of them. Mm-hmm. They become these nurses, uh, or I guess assistants, and making sure everybody's fed and making sure they're sitting upright and just yeah. checking in on everybody. Andrew, Sally and Luke, she has someone going off to war. He just came back from war. They reconnect and they know each other mm-hmm. from school, back when they uh, were attending school together. Yeah. And do you remember what they used to call <laughs> Sally in school? I mean, I think this is one of the funniest parts of the movie. Because, like, he's still really grumpy and everything. And he's like, yeah. Her, so her last name is Bender. And he was like, we used to call you Sally Bender over. Yeah. <laughs> I got such a kick out of that. It's so childish. But I thought it was actually really funny. She hated it, obviously. She even hated it. She had no idea that's what her nickname was. And she was annoyed, though, that they called her that. How could she be annoyed that they called her that when she didn't even realize they called her know. that? That's the craziest part. She had no idea. Andrew, do you think there is uh, any nickname your uh, old classmates gave to you without you knowing? Wow. No, I don't. <laughs> I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine you living your whole childhood in school and have no idea that nobody gave you a nickname. That's crazy. My friends, my friends used to call me. Ten ass. <laughs> is that because your ass is a ten out of ten? I guess must be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and and for sure. context, guys, her last name is Tennis, so that's yeah. probably why they called her that. Um, you know, just want to put two and two together. Obviously, ten ass. Ten ass. All right. So I don't know if I ever had a <sighs> nickname in school. Wow, I'm doing better than you then. Yeah. Well, like. They would call me Q or the Q or Quinn or Quinny. Or Q-tip. Q-tip. Yeah, like, like just yeah. things like that. But I never got like a bender over or ten ass. So, you know, ten ass. I'm a step behind you guys. Yeah, step up. Yeah. So <laughs> this film really is slowly going to dig into Sally and Luke. And we're kind of in a weird position here because we are watching... As an audience member, Sally essentially cheat on her husband, right? You know, and it's crazy because Sally is literally the biggest sweetheart in the, the beginning of the mo- this movie. Like, she is like a sweetheart the whole time. But in the beginning, she's very, like, she wants to go do the right thing because she's imagining, what if this was Bob? What if this happened to Bob in the war? And she wants to do something about it. And I really like it. She's, you know, kind of standing up for these vets. Um, and I think it really, in the beginning, paints her in a very good light. She's just a good human being. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think all these characters, and I think that's what makes this film so great, is that everybody in this film is very layered, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously what Sally's doing isn't good, you know? Right. Um, she's still cheating. Luke is obviously, like, a very conditioned man who hates society for what they did to him when he went off to war, right? Like, he, he still has this burning hatred for people. He has some trust issues because of that, because he can't rely on anybody but himself. That's kind of what he feels like. And then even Big Shot Bob. Big Shot Bob. Like, I think his character arc is really, really interesting, because we're supposed to not like him. And so because of that, at the end, when he starts having this when he starts to reconcile with who he is and he kind of admits his deep insecurity to Sally, like, honestly, I kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, I love all three of these characters because none of them are these perfect archetypes. None of these people, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if none of these people were waiting on that airplane for heaven can wait, right? Like, to go up to heaven. I don't know if they would go to heaven. Like, none of these three are perfect people. But I think that's what makes them great. It makes them human. And I think all three of these characters and the fact they all got nominated, two of them won, I think it's well-deserved. Uh, all three of these guys ended up winning. I would have called it deserving. I thought all three of these wow. performances yeah. were that good. And I think that's what carries the film because most of the, most of the film is relying on these three people. And even though Big Shot Bob is kind of the antagonist against these other two because we're supposed to root for them to come together because they really need each other. Sally needs somebody that truly loves her, that's affectionate with her. You know, we saw Big Shot Bob have sex with her. It wasn't the prettiest thing in sight. It looked like he took a little nap off halfway through it. And, oh, yeah. You know, Luke, on the other hand, just wants to have somebody he can actually trust, that he can actually right. be with and feel happy with because he's been alone his whole life. So these two people really need each other. So Bob kind of becomes the antagonist in that way. But we find out through his other insecurities that, you know, he he's not, uh, he doesn't mean to be a terrible guy. It's just who he is. And, like, he doesn't even do anything that terrible, right? Like, let's be real. Uh, you know, spoiler, they obviously cheat. I'm jumping the gun here. Well, we'll get into most of Bob's storylines, which is, uh, most of Bob's arc. I'll just wait till it's not moving. Most of Bob's arc is in like the last 30 minutes. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll jump back to Bob. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Let's get into Luke and Sally. What worked for their relationship? What did you enjoy in these first 60 minutes together? I don't know. I just think, you know, like you said, they kind of needed each other. You could really see that, you know, like he was a broken down man from lore. And, you know, Bob was gone. Um, but like you said, he wasn't the most tender lover or affectionate, but Luke just, he was affectionate and he really seemed like he was into her and just the more scenes with him together, the more you really grew to think they were good together. That's why I think in a way you kind of overlook the cheating because they do look like they're meant to be together. That's just how I took it. Yeah, I think the I think the sh- movie wants us to just ah, they're meant to be together. Yeah. Who cares if they cheat? They're meant for each other. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, cheating is cheating. Well, that's obviously it's yeah. wrong, but that's how I think they were trying to play it off. Yeah. And also just the fact that Bob's not a super great person, so people might like overlook it because of how bad Bob is. 
Well, we'll get into Bob later, because okay. that's mostly near the end. For sure. But what was your favorite scenes with them together? Like, what was it that really made you go, all right, Sally can cheat on Bob at this point. I don't care anymore. They're, they're so cute. What won you over? I honestly, I kind of just liked them overall. Like, there was a cute scene with them on the beach, and, you know, they seemed really sweet together, um, really into each other. But honestly, overall, I don't really have a standout moment. Like, overall, I just thought they were super cute together, and I thought that they really, the director really painted them in the right light. Yeah, I think the scene that they really try to have us get one over here, and it is really great. And I think what makes the two of them so rootable throughout their entire interaction together is just mostly the chemistry these two stars yeah. have. Like, they really do feel like they should be together. Like, they just vibe off each other so well. Luke's pessimistic attitude. And like I said to Andrea, I think Sally's just overall positive and human energy. Like, she just has such a, like, so much empathy towards other people. And she just cares about people so much. The fact that she looked after so many people in that hospital, which she didn't need to. And he even kind of tried to, you know, push her away by sit, making the remark, uh, you're just, you know, this is just some little sympathy project you have. And as soon as your husband's back, you're just going to run off and tell him about how kind-hearted you are. Like, you know, pointing out that yeah. she's doing all this just because she doesn't need to, right? Like, she can literally just go out by pool and just relax all day. Yeah, no, exactly. But she's doing all this because she cares and because she has so much empathy towards all these people, mostly because she can imagine this happening to Bob if this happens when he comes back from war. He comes back with an injury. He's now left at a hospital. And so she kind of sees everybody through her love of Bob, at the beginning at least. But I think what makes these two work really well together is when we get to probably the dinner scene when she brings them over and they have dinner together. Just to see them outside of the hospital in just such a human element, it actually just looks mm -hmm. like they're married and they're just living really in the house does. together. And the energy in that room doesn't falter. It's not like they just have this romance in the hospital. It really feels like it can go beyond those walls. And I think that's what makes this romance work to an extent is when you finally see them together outside of the hospital and you go, okay, yeah, they, they, they just really like each other. Like, it's not like they enjoy being together in the hospital because they got no one else to hang out with. They actually just want to be together. And so it, it is great. You know, as a, cheating aside, uh, I, I do think their relationship's really great. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on with these two before we get to probably the last 30 minutes, which is really where everything just starts crashing together when Big Shot Bob comes back? Comes back. As the title says, he comes home. Yeah, he does. Um, you know, I also, so back, sorry, back to the beach scene really quick. It's also, like, you can tell how much they're into each other by that point because he's in the wheelchair, she's sitting on his lap, they're being lovey-dovey with each other. Um, I thought that was a really sweet moment. And they just, they just seem super happy in that moment. And that's it. <laughs> so Bob comes back. As the title says, he does end up coming home. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, she leaves Luke. She wants to be with her husband, after all. But unfortunately, the husband ends up finding out that the two of them were together. That, that they were a thing. He found out she yeah. cheated on him. 
And he's pretty pissed, uh, you know, rightfully so. He goes to Luke and pretty much handles it the best way you can. And that's when I kind of took a step back and went, oh, wow, okay. I, I guess Bob's not yeah. the villain of this movie, really. Because right. his reaction isn't, I'm going to kill you, right? Like, right? like the dude had a gun on him, right? I thought maybe he could have pulled it out on him. He didn't. Hmm. He literally said, it's up to Sally, I guess. This sucks. Yeah. I'm heartbroken this happened. It's shitty that you did that to my wife, but it's her choice. But I also think, yeah, it definitely made him see that he could lose Sally because of how he was. And that's, yeah, it's where you really start seeing his insecurities. Yeah. And so we find out how he came early from war, which is a, <laughs> is a hilarious so funny. reveal. Mm-hmm. And this was actually before he approaches Luke. So. This is when I still thought, okay, this guy is supposed to be the villain here, right? So he comes back to comes back from war uh, with a wound on his leg, and it's revealed that he was walking to the shower, yeah. and he tripped and shot himself in the leg, <laughs> uh-huh. which is like the wimpiest way to yeah, go out. It it's sucks. so silly. Yeah. And V and Sally, who he tells it to, are kind of chuckling, like, really? Like, oh my god, uh, that's wow. that's brutal. That's embarrassing, really. And so it really is like, oh, wow, ha, ha, ha. Like, the big villain has such a weak way to get home. Like, what a loser. Uh, and, and he's kind of, like, up, he's kind of, it, you know, egotistical about it. Like, oh, don't laugh. Like, this is embarrassing for me. Like, you know, he, he really seems like this is the villain. But then he talks to Luke, and you feel bad, right? Yeah. But then he goes and talks to Sally when he pulls her sign afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this is when he kind of reveals his insecurity about how he wanted to go to war prove to her that he's a man for her if he, he yeah. has always felt like she never really thought that he was manly enough or he yeah. was like the, and so you kind of have this masculine like he has this pressure of society to be this masculine guy for his wife which he never really felt like he was and so he went to war to really you know prove to everybody not just his wife not just to himself but just to society that he's a real man he's a captain he's in the military then he shoots himself in the leg and it's embarrassing he's coming home and all of a sudden he's a joke he gets the medal whoop-de-doo but now his wife thinks he's a joke he knows he's a joke and society thinks he's a joke he did the opposite of what he was wanting and he realized that it just shows to Sally that maybe he's not good enough for her. And so I thought that that was interesting. This whole time, he yeah. seems like this egotistical douche bro, big shot Bob, like mm-hmm. I've been calling him this whole time. He acts like the big shot. Like, we're not supposed to like this guy, but, you know, I'm not saying I like him. Obviously, of the three, he's probably my third favorite of the three, right? Like, no, I love the other two way more. Like, he's absolutely. not. I just think he's an interesting character. I don't really even like him. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, this whole time we thought he was a big shot. And that's because he wanted to look like a big shot. He was insecure that deep down inside, he's kind of a loser. He's, you know, he's, he's not that great. He's kind of pathetic. And the fact that he left on such a pathetic way, shooting himself in the leg. Then he finds out while he was gone trying to prove he's a big shot to everybody, including his wife. His wife is cheating on him. Yeah. So now he has that layer on it as well. Like He really came back with the big L this time. He, like, he was a big loser in this movie. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely feel a lot worse for him at the end, just everything going on. 
And yeah, just the fact that he shot himself in the leg is probably like the ultimate embarrassment that you could even face. But the thing is, even though this is what happened, they obviously had a story to cover it up, which is the, the great thing. Like, it wasn't great, but like, come on, that's just so on point for like, I don't know, the story. <laughs> if I came back from war and I revealed to you, hey, babe, I shot myself in the leg by mistake. Would you be glad you cheated on me while I was gone to war? <laughs> no. I feel like Sally was like, okay, yeah, I was justified. What, 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 a, what a loser. <laughs> no, I don't think cheating's like good no matter what, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't condone cheating unless the guy shoots himself in the leg. Then oh, really, okay, so if you yeah. shoot yourself in the leg, I'm allowed to cheat on you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's kind of justified because you're kind of a loser at that point. Come on. Jeez. Shooting yourself in the leg. Get out of here. So, and so that's pretty much the film. Uh, you know, uh, it does not go well for Sally and Big Shot Bob. They don't really get out of this. And Sally kind of starts seeing how things go with Luke. And that's the movie. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Covered the whole thing. Yeah. Big, I'm sure Bob wished he didn't come home. I guess that's the title of the movie. Yeah, he kind of wished he did not show up because it was not a good time for him. So, Andrew, we can discuss some of the nominations it received. It was nominated for Best Directing. What do you think of the directing for this film? You know, I like the directing. I thought the directing was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say it is the best, but it's definitely up there for sure. Um, I'll also have to just see how the deer hunter is and an unmarried woman. Um, but I thought the director definitely showcased um, the two relationships like so differently. I thought that was good. I thought the directing was great. I think it was easily the best of the three directing-wise. I just think the path that it went was really smooth. It worked really well. We got to see Bob a few times to remind us, oh yeah, she's cheating on him. But it was mostly focused on the main two characters that vibed really well off each other. I thought the decision to have the very first scene basically just be Luke shitting on war was a great scene to set up the movie. I thought a lot of the decisions this film took, I thought a lot of the decisions this film took were great. So yeah, I would say that was really strong. Uh, in regards to the best original screenplay, this film won. What did you think of that? Screenplay? Um, I liked it. I thought the story was good. I was into it, definitely. I mean, I in a way, I think it goes hand in hand with the directing and the screenplay. Um... They were both great. They did good overall. Yeah, yeah. I think the screenplay is obviously one of the strongest parts yeah. of the film. I think the dialogue is really sharp. Uh, whenever they get these big monologues, it's the best parts, right? Like when Big Shot Bomb talked about his insecurities, when Luke discussed war in the very first scene, mm -hmm. when Sally kind of expressed what love meant to her uh, halfway through the, through the film. There's so many great moments of monologues and dialogue between all these characters. That's really sharp. It's really well written. So yeah, I think it's extremely strong. Um, in regards to, not two, not three, four acting nominations this movie got. That's honestly pretty wild. We'll work away from the bottom to the top here. 
for supporting actress. We had Penelope Milford for Sally's friend V. What do you think of that? I liked her. She was she was fine. She was actually a lot of fun, and I'm I'm really glad she was in the film because she was always done for a good time. And I don't know. I think she kind of even Sally out a little bit with some of her ways. Whoa, always down Whoa. for a good time. Oh my gosh. Not like that. Wow. Are you always down for a good time? Don't twist my words. <laughs> I'm just repeating what you said. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Yikers. Um, I would say she's pretty. She's pretty good. I think uh, a nomination is interesting. But she did win. So I'm fine with the nomination. I thought she was very fun for what she was. And yeah, I, I thought she was a pretty good performance that kind of just feels totally outshined by the other three. And it's just maybe because she's not as layered. Yeah. But uh, we can move on to the supporting actor here for Bruce Dern, who obviously plays the iconic Big Shot Bob. <laughs> I love you, how you've named him that. That's yeah, great. it's so funny because everybody listening, I don't think anybody that's listening right now has seen the movie. Nobody calls him Big Shot no Bob. No one calls him that. He's not even really a big shot. He's kind of a loser, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sticking with it. And so in everyone's <laughs> minds, they're probably thinking of like a real Chad, a real buff, badass looking guy, it's maybe not. in like a business suit and shades. No. He's a big shot. He's probably got like an earpiece. That the president likes to talk to him through. Uh, no, no, he's, he's kind of a loser. But, uh, you know, we're going to stick with Big Shot Bob here. And I think he's awesome. I think, you know, I, he's my third favorite of the three. Like, I think it's a significant drop from the other two. But it's because he's still supposed to be the antagonist. He's yeah. still supposed to be the foil for these other two characters. And he's the supporting actor. He doesn't have as much depth in him. Even though there is quite a bit of depth for a supporting character. It's still not as layered as the other two. So, of course, he's not as great. But I think he should have won Best Supporting Actor. Obviously, one of these other movies will have the supporting mm -hmm. actor win. We'll see if that role was actually better. But for now, I thought he was really great. I thought it was a pretty great performance. He was a great douchebag. I loved it. <laughs> this is a great douchebag. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was. But anyways, what are your thoughts on Bob? Um, yeah, I, I liked Bob. He wasn't bad. Uh, he was probably my third favorite as well. Uh, I like, I just, I love how he came to like uh, show his insecurities. That was probably my favorite part about him. And like how everything just kind of bit him in the ass in the end. I don't know. I kind of left feeling really bad for him. So. <laughs> yeah. So we can. Move on to the lead performances here. And let's start with the lead actor for John Voight, who played Luke. Uh, I, I, I really liked him. He was great. I, I like how you could really see, like you said, how layered he was. Uh, going from being super upset, grumpy, angry at the war, to just being madly in love like she kind of just got him to open back up and show like his true colors and i thought that was that was really beautiful yeah yeah i think i i thought luke was fantastic i thought his energy matched so well with sally in comparison i just think to have him so down on his luck to be so negative and so really distraught at how the world has treated him to really being hopeful and to just being in love and joyful and just 
being alive again, right? Like he can't walk, but he really does just feel like he's living his life again. And that's exciting. So I thought Luke was incredible. I'm curious as to which one you preferred between Luke or the lead actress win Sally played by Jane Fonda because they both walked out as winners here. They're so, you know, really they're both up there tied as real winners in this film. But w- which was your favorite of the two? I'm clearly going to pick Jane Fonda. Yeah, I Jane Fonda she easily, yeah. was a knockout. She was fantastic. And I love how she kept changing her hairstyle. Went from straight. And then whenever she started hanging out with him, Curly, I think it was kind of like to show like her personality change a little bit. Not a lot, but like just maybe the, like she was more happy. I don't know. I feel like there definitely was a way it was probably related but overall, she when she was on screen, you know, you just you just felt a little happier. Just she kind of brought she kind of brought the mood up, even like in the very beginning when Luke was like so grumpy all the time. And I think at one point he threw like a bedpan at her or something. Yeah, no, I loved her. Yeah, Jade Fonda was the best. Uh, I feel like we didn't talk about her as much. No, we really should because, but you know, most of her arc is just slowly falling in love and really reconciling with her decision, uh, which is kind of hard to really discuss on a podcast. You just got to see it for yourself because she really does bring this performance through. And it's the best part of the movie. It really does make this film be so great because you really believe that she's falling in love again and she is hopeful and just so, like I said, empathetic towards everybody. I just think she's absolutely lovely. She's adorable and really, I'm trying to think. Might crack my top five performances uh, of this podcast so far of all the Oscar winners we've discussed. Like she, she's probably up there. If, if not in my top five, definitely in my top 10, I would say. Wow. Like I thought her performance was really great. So yeah, I, wow. think, I think it was a well-deserved win. I'm not surprised she ended up pulling the victory here. Whenever we watch An Unmarried Woman, uh, we'll see if that performance uh, was truly robbed because that one didn't get the win. But I, th- I thought she was great in this. I really did. Uh, and that is the film for Coming Home. Uh, Andrea, before we wrap it up here, what is your storyboard for this film? I was thinking about it. I'm, I'm going to go with Make Love, Not War. <laughs> yeah, so for those that don't know, uh, for the 1940s, uh, when we just, when we did the oscar for that year they actually had a award for best original story which we kind of took it upon ourselves as essentially what's the best two to three sentence elevator pitch for Mm -hmm. the movie kind of like a quick definition of this movie it's just something we just do for fun uh that was andrew's mine would be prob uh i think at the top of my head mine is a man who is mad about the world is madly in love. Oh, I thought you were going to go with is madly in love with a woman, but that works too. Well, it's essentially the same thing. So yeah, I guess it Damn. works. Wham, so wham. we can discuss quickly our score for this. We're both on Letterboxd. You can yeah. follow me at Q Movie Review or at Quentin Phillipson. You can also follow Andrew at Andrea Lizard Emoji, Penguin Emoji, Snowflake oh. Emoji. I actually need to check. Let's see. If you type in Andrea, you'll find her. Oh, wow. I need to change it as Andrew a Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, we're halfway to Christmas game. Might as well just keep my it at this bad. point. 
So what would be your score for this film? You know what? I'll go first. So I'll make it easy for you. I think I'm higher on this you than are. you. Um, yeah, I'm curious as to where you're going to put it. I'm a four. I think I'm going to give it a four. I, I, I just think it's a very well-made film that really made me, it kept me thinking about it after we saw it. So I am a solid four on it. Damn. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought you would pick. And I'm clearly lower than you on it. Like, it was good, and I'm all for, you know, giving credit where credit is due, but I'm going to give it a three. Ooh, a three. Yeah, it was just middle of the road for me. Yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> Moving on to the fourth film that was nominated for the 1979 Oscars, we have An Unmarried Woman. So this is the last film that was nominated but did not win the Covenant Prize. Of course, next podcast, we will be moving on to the eventual winner, A Deer Hunter. But the last film, An Unmarried Woman, which is probably one of the more well-known films, at least of the ones we've discussed of the four, I would say this might have been the one that you may or may not have already seen, at the very least, probably have heard of. It's, I think of the films from the 1970s. It's a relatively well-regarded film, at least now. Like a fine glass of wine, I think it has aged relatively well. I feel like uh, maybe because of its depiction of females and in the situations that they are, it's very similar to, I guess, Kramer v. Kramer that we discussed in the pr- most previous Oscar mm-hmm. season of getting a divorce and go through the you know uh, very unnecessary proceedings of that. But I think when this first came out, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't here in 1978. But, uh, you know, just looking at the Oscar nominations here, despite this film being so well regarded and for being really quite a film of its time that people look back on today with a lot of fondness. uh, An Unmarried Woman, maybe to your surprise, Andrea, despite it being probably one of the more well-known films here, received the least amount of nominations of the five. So, you know, uh, Heaven Can Wait got, was tied for the most by, like, a significant margin. Coming Home walked away with, like, eight nominations, maybe nine. Uh, even Midnight Express, which didn't have a whole lot, it still had six nominations. This film only had three. It, it had half of Midnight Express, which is the second lowest. So it is by a bit of a considerable margin here. Unmarried Woman was only nominated for Best Picture lead actress, and original screenplay. That was it. It lost all three. It walked away with zero wins and three nominations. That was it. Damn. I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that it got nominated for the least, considering it is a little bit more well-known. Um, and yeah, it was, it was overall, it was pretty good. The, the story's pretty good from beginning to end, and I really enjoyed it. So it's Big eye-opener there. Yeah, I guess let's quickly talk about what nominations it was robbed of, right? Like, like mm-hmm. what nominations maybe it should have gotten. Because it only did get nominated for three, and really these were the big three uh, for this film. Obviously, it had to be nominated for Best Lead Actress. It had to be nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And this is one of the best films of the year. You know, we, we've only seen these four and then a few other films that weren't nominated. Mm-hmm. But we haven't, you know, we haven't seen that many movies. But really, this is one of the better films of the year from mm-hmm. what I've seen in this year. 
So I think it's deserving of all three. These are really the big three it should have gotten. But were there any that you think it missed out on? God. Missed out on God. Yeah, it missed out on God, definitely. Shut up. Um, no. Um, so I was going to say, God was uh, missing from Heaven Can Wait, really. That's a true. film about angels. We that's never got to see true. God. Never yeah. saw the guy. I think as far as acting goes, I don't know if I would give anyone else a nomination for any of the other acting roles. Um... I don't know what other uh, rewards I would have given. What what would you give it? Awards, awards. Awards. Sorry. The one that really sticks out to me, I don't necessarily know if this was the best of the award, but it definitely was top five, and I think it was the score. I thought the score was really great, especially comparing it to films like Kramer v. Kramer. This is a much more memorable score. The score helps you feel like you're distressed with the lead character so i feel like it really helps amplify some of the situations yeah i, I think it would have been a pretty worthy win I, I don't know if it was necessarily stronger than midnight express because the score in that was really effective but i think as a nomination it would have been pretty strong i think the editing is pretty great maybe I... even the directing i thought those two just the, a lot of the technical aspects of this are really good at portraying this but I do think that goes to show you're struggling to think of one. And I'm struggling to think of any that it deserved to get nominated for. Uh, I think this film really relies on the main two being lead actress and the screenplay. I'm shocked this lost both of these. It should have won both. I think these were the strongest for both of these categories. Let's move into the film first. We'll uh, okay, look at the awards soon. Well, I was going to say, now that I'm thinking about it, the editing was pretty good. Um, I don't know if I should have won it, but I do remember the editing being pretty uh, point on. Yeah, the uh, the editing is won by Deer Hunter, so maybe we'll see mm-hmm. the superior editing style in Deer Hunter. So we can move on to the actual film here, you know, uh, yeah. kind of jumping everybody right off the bat. If you haven't seen the film, uh, you should go check it out. But really, I don't think there's a whole lot to spoil here. It's pretty much the synopsis of the movie. If you don't even want to know what it's about, you want to go in blind, definitely go check this film out. I think me and Andrew were both pretty big fans of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, we're pretty much just going to be going into detail about the synopsis because uh, it's pretty much the whole movie here. We have our lead character, Erica, who really in the first 10 minutes we kind of set up pretty early on. Similar to the title, which I think is a fantastic title. We can get into it relatively soon here. But the first bit is to show up that is to show off that our lead character, Erica, is in a very complacent place mm-hmm. right now. She's just in a well-paid job, married to a guy who I believe is a stockbroker. Yep. Yeah, who is very well off. Yep. They, they both have a kid. They're both looking great in their life. They have a perfect life. Basically, you could say uh, some people might say they are living the American dream. And I know yeah. death of a salesman would be chasing yeah. for the life they have right now. So that's how great they got it. And mm-hmm. so she's complacent. She in love. Sure. As she says, they have sex. Every- they have sex quite a bit. Yeah, sure. Why not? They're in love. That is until, as the title says, uh, unfortunately, Martin pulls her aside and has to eventually let her know that they are 
going to get a divorce. And probably the most pathetic way possible, he is like blubbering and whimpering. And like, (laughs) I love someone way younger and hotter. And, you know, oh my like, god, your face. I'm, I'm just trying to get into the mindset of Apparently, Martin. Apparently, yeah. but they can't see us. <laughs> well, it helped with the voice, you know. Oh, they, they can still hear sure. us. They could hear the patheticness just ooze out of me because that was Martin right there. He was teary and gross and blumbering. Mm. Uh, to let her know, he really lets her know. I've really, I, I held out for years. I, I really mm-hmm. try, I try to convince myself it's just a fling yeah. that I still liked you, and I tried so hard to like you. I tried. I'm a hero. I'm a good person, but I don't love you. I gotta leave. Like what a loser. So he's like the one whimpering here. Like she's not even the one crying from this mm-hmm. divorce. It's him who's making the call, uh, which is a very great depiction of it. I, I think it's hilarious that right off the bat. You know, uh, kind of a bit of a role reversal where you like normally in these kind of movies, for example, Kramer v. Kramer. She's the one leaving him and we get it through his viewpoint. He's the hero. He's the father figure. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just how these American films are, especially in the 70s, right? Like the the guy's kind of the lead character and the the evil females leaving them. And I feel Mm -hmm. like we're kind of spinning it on its head where like the guy's the pathetic loser and he's the one leaving her. And so she looks much stronger in this scene. She looks a lot more well-defined. And you know right off the bat, well, fuck this guy. We don't care about him. And we're definitely following the viewpoint of Erica. So it's a great scene. And, uh, you know, now, as the title says, Erica is an unmarried woman. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think think it's great that, (laughs) that, you know, Martin left her. Because, you know, overall, I think um, at the end we see this story come full circle. And that was one of my favorite parts is the fact that it does come full circle. But really quick, let's just get back to her being unmarried. We kind of see like the beginning stages, you know, like in the beginning, you know, you are upset about the whole situation. Her daughter is really upset and we get some really good mother-daughter bonding scenes throughout this film as well because her daughter hates her father now. Uh, in the very beginning, at least, it, it kind of shifts a little bit, but, you know, she's completely over him. You know, she's upset with her boyfriend for saying why, like, he could see why Martin did what he did. And it, it, it kind of just jumps from there. We see a little bit of everything. We see her first date. See the guy turning out to be a creep. It's kind of like... Very slow story, but somehow it still kept me um, intrigued the entire time I was watching it. I and I, th- I think it was good. Like the pace, the pace of the overall film was really good for me um, because you got to see every little part of what Erica was going through, trying to get back into dating, and then she eventually finds someone she really does like, um, and them taking it slow. And whatnot. Oh. And then there's another part where she is going through a one night stand phase. Which I think with all breakups, everyone kind of goes through something kind of similar. Maybe not, but 
It just felt very relatable, the entire story. Yeah, and I think when you were talking about how the film feels very slow, I think that's where an editing nomination feels really important because I think the pacing and the way this film is shown is terrific. It's, it's fantastic because you're really treading the fine line of this film starts to drag, you start losing interest, you start like the audience starts to not really care anymore. And then on the flip side, if you make this storyline happen too fast where she is heartbroken and alone and isolated once Martin whimpers away like a loser and she just starts sleeping around with guys and starts jumping into bed right away. Like if you start that too quickly, it no longer feels like we're really understanding this woman's struggle. Like it all of a sudden feels like, okay, this girl maybe isn't that upset that Martin's leaving her. And that's not true. She is very upset, right? Like she's so comfortable with the life that she had. And this change is so drastic that it's important to stress on that because if it just feels like it was so quick, it feels like she left a loveless relationship. And it wasn't okay. from her point of view because yeah. she felt like she was in a really strong relationship with Martin, with the family and having this perfect life, you know, complacent life, but still mm -hmm. uh, to an extent perfect. So I think the, the editing in this film is really great because it does feel slow. It feels like we are slowly watching her become comfortable with who she is as, as an individual because she's so used to just latching on to martin and doing what yeah. martin wants and so to come out of her shell as herself is important and it's also important to still not lose the audience interest like the entire time we're, we're understanding how she's slowly becoming more and more independent she's slowly becoming more interested and in starting a new relationship and we don't lose interest for a second. Like the entire time we're still following it very clearly. I think the editing in this is really great because yeah, I'm with you. I never once got bored at all. I was mm -hmm. enjoying the entire movie. And yet the whole time I was going, okay, I'm understanding that this is a very slow burn mm -hmm. of her self-realization. So I thought that the film's editing was really strong. Yeah. But once again, uh, you know, as, as great as the editing was, it still falls on the lead actors in the screenplay because the dialogue in this movie is fantastic. Her having these conversations with her daughter and with her friends and with these men that she's hanging out with, it's great because she really starts to become more and more dependent on herself. She doesn't really yeah. need to rely on anybody else. And that's kind of what makes this film so great. And I love the title, An Unmarried Woman. I think it's the perfect title. And I was really thinking about it the day after we watched this. Because when you see an unmarried woman, when you first hear the title, you're thinking, oh, so basically just a single woman? But that's not really the case. Because a single woman, a single woman just means you're not in a relationship. But an unmarried woman means that she's finally out of, this, out of her comfort zone of being married for years and being in this like very mm -hmm. strong foundation being with a man that's well off. She's well off. They have a kid. They're relaxed. They got no stress and worries. And all of a sudden she's thrown out alone. She mm -hmm. no longer has this financial support. She no yeah. longer has a shoulder to cry on. So she's not, obviously she is a single woman, but as the title says, she now has to struggle with being independent again. She has to struggle with being an unmarried woman. And I thought that that was a, a really great title that really encapsulates the film and encapsulate what the movie's going for. Yeah, no. You brought up a really good point there where you see 
basically her becoming more and more independent from Martin. And that was probably one of my favorite parts is her completely coming out of her shell. And then when she does find the man that she is starting to fall for and she thinks she loves him, you know, she introduces him to her daughter, which that's a great scene. Her daughter is a complete smart ass during the entire thing. I really enjoyed that scene. And then at the very end, it kind of wraps it up where he is a painter and he moves away for six months of the year before he comes back. And he wants her to go with him. And he's very like, you know, we love each other. We want this. And it just really shows her character growth throughout the film. And she's just like, nope, I'm going to stay here. This is what I want. And it isn't because she doesn't love him back, because I think she does. But uh, she's already grown her own independence. And she's ready to try new things on her own. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the big finale of the film, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't end up married again. She ends up realizing that she's a strong, independent female. You know, I guess, you know the, the classic that's saying, right. oh, a strong, independent female character. But she really embodies that because yep. she doesn't grovel at being with this new guy. She, she loves this man and he loves her, but she's not going to throw away her, you know, her job and her mm -hmm. daughter, because her daughter still lives there. She's not going right. to throw all that away just to move on with this guy who could be her husband. And She's going to do what, uh, what what works best for her. No, exactly. But then not only that, uh, it, like I said, it comes full circle. Her husband actually stops her on her run to talk to her. And he tries to come crawling back to her because... His new little girl thing, fiance, whatever, has left him for someone else. And he just wants to move back into the house. And she basically is just like, hell no. I'm like good on my own and I'm over you. Which I love. Like she still wants to be friends with him. But like she kind of just like stood her ground instead of just like crawling back to him yeah yeah she's I, a little too nice to him yeah yeah no absolutely but i like i like that she didn't go back to him i thought that was really good she's like i can stand on my own two feet thank you very much shuts the door and i also really liked you know uh similar to midnight express the beginning and the ending having a very similar moment to let us realize okay we are wrapping up the story we're book ending it with this very similar story structure where we have erica and martin they were running together in the very early in the film mm -hmm. and during their jog together is when he kind of just breaks and tells her that they're ending it and then at the end of this at the end of the film we now have Erica running alone. She's now an individual running by herself. She doesn't need to run with someone else. She can take care of herself. And he's waiting for her because he knows this is her path because he used to run with her. Pulls her aside and asks her if they want to get back together. So mm -hmm. it's the same path. They used to run together and that's when they broke up. And she's now by herself. And he now wants to, you know, bring them back together in this, you know, during the same kind of setting, the same scene. I don't know if it was the exact same spot. So, you know, I might have to rewatch to remember that. But I do love that it kind of comes full circle. And the first scene, he had the power. He's the one that ended it. He said, I'm done. I'm moving on to a, you know, a younger, sexier girl. 
And at the end of the film, literally, the unmarried woman, Erica, takes the power back and she tells him no. Boom. Shots uh, yeah. fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop moment. Uh, in the exact same moment, she's the one that has the power now. He's, he's, he's crawling back mm-hmm. and she turns it down. She's very nice about it, honestly. She was a little too nice during that scene. I would have... I would have been a little bit more vindictive than her, but she's a better person than me. I, th- yeah. I think I think we can agree on that. Erica's uh, she killed it. Yeah, she's nicer than I am, but mm-hmm. I thought the scene was great. I thought that was a fantastic way to bring that back. Same. I really I enjoyed it. I thought it all kind of clicked into pieces. Like, sorry, it all kind of clicked into place, and it just worked. It just worked overall. Such a great pace, such great character development. It was really on a whole new level. Yes, we have Kramer vs. Kramer, but like I said to Quentin, Kramer vs. Kramer had a much younger child, which took place in a lot more of the scenes. And I feel like you really grew attached to the child, but in an unmarried woman, yes, the child was there, just much older. And I wasn't attached to the daughter whatsoever. Way more no. to the mother. She she was great. Yeah, definitely. I don't know who won Best Actress. Maybe I do. Maybe we already know and I forgot. But I definitely think like she should have had a shot at it. She basically made this film. Yeah, ironically enough, uh, the winner for Best Actress is the film we discussed at the beginning of this podcast. The same podcast people are listening to for this <laughs> So they're probably thinking, you just talked about it 30 minutes ago, but we recorded it like five days in between. Oops. So, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> a little context there. Uh, the lead actress in Coming Home was the winner. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> she was really great. I went on and on about saying how she was a deserving winner. I do think she was a great winner. Maybe we should start doing little rankings of the winners for best actress that we've all seen, that we watched so far and best actor. Maybe once we have like a longer list, we can do that for fun. Maybe break it off into segments. Yeah, uh, I'd be down for stuff that. Stuff like that. Let's because see. I thought she was a great actress in Coming yeah. Home. I thought I do think it was a great performance and a worthy win. But um, I think this was better. I do. I, I, I think, I you know, did. now that this is now side by side uh, in a little context. 30 minutes ago, I was just saying how the winner for coming home was incredible. Uh, and, I, and I still believe that. But in compared to... Good. Yeah, compared to Unmarried Woman, it's tough. I think this is a, an incredible performance. It's less in your face than I would say coming yeah. home is. I would say that film, the performances are very more over the top and very intense and epic. And I love them for it. It's very... It, coming home, despite Unmarried Woman being in a similar story structure as Kramer v. Kramer about divorce and about the messiness of it and about these people getting individual about, you know, getting their own independence, right? Both Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman get their independence in that film Mm -hmm. and learn what it's like to be on their own. So it's very similar to Unmarried Woman. However, Kramer v. Kramer performance wise would be closer to coming home where it's very more over the top and very more in your face. You know, you could tell when they're doing a speech. Okay. This is, you know, they're doing this speech to really ham it up to get an Oscar here, right? 100%. There's no performance like that in an in an unmarried woman. The lead character, she is incredible, in the, probably the best performance of the year. But it's very more internal, very more 
held back because you can see how she's really struggling with this. When she looks at herself in the mirror, right? And she sees, this is moments after Martin tells her that they're leaving because he's going for a younger woman. What does she do? As soon as she walks away from him, she doesn't cry, she doesn't yell, but she goes to a mirror and looks at herself and she pauses and you can see it in her eyes that she is heartbroken because she sees how old she has become. And he left her for someone younger. And she realizes that she's now on her own as an older woman. And she's she's scared. She's terrified. And if this was Kramer versus Kramer, if this was Meryl Streep or Dustin Hoffman looking in the mirror, they'd be yelling, being like, oh my God. Like, you know, they would ham it up, which is fun. I, I eat up the ham. I love the over-the-topness of it sometimes. With mashed potatoes. Yeah, ham with mashed potatoes, sure. <laughs> but... Uh, there is also just something really powerful in an unmarried woman when she looks at herself in the mirror and she's, she's devastated. She's terrified. And it's not over the top. It's not an Oscar winning performance, but it is an incredible performance. She's just, she's just so calm. Most people would be crying, hysterical, but she literally was just like so calm in that moment. And like, you could just tell, like, through her eyes, like, what she was experiencing. It was powerful. I, yeah. I, I liked how it was handled. And with the dialogue, right? That, yeah. that tells it all. Just the way she's asking her friends these questions, you can, you can tell in her mind. She is just panicking. Like, this is so overwhelming to you her. You know, that was another point we haven't really touched on. Not only is this the story... Oh, not only is this the story of Erica, but it's also kind of the story of her girlfriends. Like... Um, you see, you see what some of the other women that she's friends with are going through as well. And some of them just like hiding these like deep secrets that they've held like hid for a really long time. It was just really powerful. Them all just sitting there, you know, being there for each other. Yeah, it, it was powerful for me. Yeah, I think the film's incredible. I think it's really, really well written and really, really well-performed with the lead actress here. Uh, it's the only two nominations it got beside Best Picture, and it is the main two. If it didn't get one of these nominations, I think me and you would have been a little bit more up in arms yeah. because these really were the two nominations it should have even won, but at least it got. So I, I can, you know, give the Academy some credit here. This isn't necessarily a film that they might be swooning over, although to be fair... I thought this would have been more of an Academy film than Heaven Can Wait or Midnight Express. <laughs> and they seem to like those more. So the Academy was a little funky this year. It was. It was considering, I don't know when Kramer versus Kramer won, but, but like it was this kind of the same storyline, just one was more like in your face than the other, really. So the Academy must have changed a lot in those years. <laughs> well... Maybe you want to take that back, Andrew, because I... Are they back-to-back? So we mentioned this earlier. They're back-to-back. Wow. Wow. Or maybe that was the other reason it didn't win, because they saw, like, the similarities in the storylines. Well, this came out the year before Kramer v. Kramer. Oh, wow. Well, then they just learned to get good taste, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this came out the year before Kramer v. Kramer, so maybe, just maybe they only gave this film three nominations and then didn't win anything. And maybe back then, maybe this was a very popular film. And the audiences, an unmarried woman got three nominations, only got three nominations, 
Heaven can Heaven can wait a minute. Express got more. Wow. And they got zero wins. Maybe this is similar to when the Academy gave Green Book best picture win, right? And the audiences were up in arms. Green Book. It beat Roma. Roma is a international film that is extremely well made. This is disastrous. How could you give this to Green Book? And so the very next year, because they gave Roma the Shaft, the well-regarded, one of the best-made foreign films of that year, and one of the best films of that year, and instead they gave it to the Green Book movie, And what did they do the year after, Andrea? They gave the win to Parasite. They kind of made up for it. Hey, we're going to give an international film the best win. It was a huge moment. Maybe that's kind of what happened. An Unmarried Woman, a film about divorce. This was a powerful film. They don't really show this kind of human aspect in filmmaking. The fact that it lost by a huge margin, only got three nominations and didn't win any of them. And then the year after, Kramer v. Kramer, just swept it got so many nominations so many wins including best picture it was a huge film yeah maybe it was kind of their way of making up for it uh and spent and you know maybe (laughs) they watched that movie and went oh wow we can make this come on dustin let's go record this movie we could make this like you know maybe maybe it helped inspire them i'm taking i'm saying that tongue-in-cheek because they definitely filmed kramer v kramer before the awards for this People do love a good young Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he's great in that Hot film. Hot tea. Yeah, so, you know, it is interesting that this really, this came out the year right before Kramer v. Kramer. It's kind of funny how times happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anything else you want to say about an unmarried woman, Andrea? Um, yeah, I think it's underrated. <laughs> oh, underrated. Interesting. Underrated. Like, I don't know, maybe the fan base really likes it now, but... Clearly, it was underrated because it didn't win Best Picture. I'm ready to be blown away by the deer hunter. Watch him hunting all these deers, you know. And well, I don't know. We'll see. I just think it's very underrated. That's that's all I really have to say here. And I think the actress was amazing. I honestly had never heard of her before, but I really liked her. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the actress either. And I was about to say to you, Andrew, I don't know what you're talking about. Underrated. I think this is a pretty well-regarded movie. I think maybe I overthought that myself. Uh, Just because it's on Criterion, we have a few friends that loved the film. Maybe in my mind, this is a more well-accepted film than I realized. Because I pulled it up on Letterboxd. We both have Letterboxd. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can follow us there. But I'm pulling it up here. You go to the search for buy date and go to 1978 which is the year this film came out it's all the way down here it's down underneath like 50 movies yeah it's below obviously the best picture winner the deer hunter which is the third highest film on the 1978 list right behind greece and halloween which makes sense you know halloween and greece are pretty well regarded films yeah they're pretty iconic um, but I thought this would have been top 10 easily, but it's below even the other Best Picture nominations, such as Midnight Express. Midnight Express is a good mm-hmm. bit ahead of it. That's a, more people have seen that film than they've seen in Unmarried Woman. Unmarried Woman did beat the other nominations, Heaven Can Wait and Coming Home, but still, I'm, I'm a little shocked that it's wow. in the middle. It's behind Midnight Express and Deer Hunter. 
Heaven Can Wait is like literally only three or four movies behind it. Yeah. Yeah, Unmarried Woman is not as high up as I really thought it was. It uh it has only received it only has six point three thousand people that have seen it on this site. So That's a shame. Honestly, I kinda was thinking you're a little crazy when you said underrated, but you're right. This is an underrated film. I think this is yeah. an excellent movie. You know, uh, we'll get into our rankings when we get to the uh when we get to the ceremony. I don't want to spoil any of that, but I think this movie is fantastic. And uh, we can kind of get right into that shortly here. Andrea, what is your storyboard for An Unmarried Woman? All right. I'm going to go with um, Unmarried is better than being married for this lady. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you said for this lady. I was a little worried because we're getting married in Whoa, like... Whoa, yeah, not yeah. us. I was going to say, we're getting married in like a month. I hope you, uh, this isn't your mindset. <laughs> yeah, scare me a little. Wow. Uh, my storyboard would be, I, I, I love someone younger. I don't, I need to leave you. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and then, a few years later, please take me back. I really want to be with you. There you go. That's, that's not, really long. That's I don't think that counts as a storyboard. But it's two, <laughs> it's two to three sentences. You know, uh, yeah. No. That's two or three sentences. You're stretching it. Oh my gosh. I was just adding, you know, I was adding a little pause for dramatic effect, but it's still two, three sentences. All right. So, Andrea, obviously we were both on Letterboxd. I've already disclosed that a few minutes ago. But what would be your score for this film? So, for those of you that don't have Letterboxd, we give 0.5 to a five star rating system. So I thought about it, and I did really like the story, and I think I'm going to go with a four. A four! Wow! Woo! Cheers! So high, low, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, was a pretty solid four at the beginning of this podcast. After talking about it, I like it a lot more. I'm gonna, I'm still gonna give it a four, but I'm a high four. I really think... On a rewatch, this might be a 4.5. I think this movie is really, really be. good. It could be. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a 4 for now. I, I think the film's great. So that's everything on our end. Check us out in a week or so time where we will return for the Best Picture winner and you know the third highest film for 1978 on Letterboxd. So you guys might have actually heard this one more than An Unmarried Woman itself. The Deer Hunter. So we will see you guys next time and have a fantastic day. Ready to talk about all those deer hunters hunting deers. Bye.